to The People's Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on nutrition, health, and medicine. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. People Scientist Army, and welcome back for episode 25 on the People Scientist Podcast. I'm recording this episode on a Wednesday night, and if you can believe it, I have to be awake in three hours because I'm catching the first flight out from New York City to Canada. I'm heading back to my hometown for the weekend because my cousin is actually getting married, so I'm very excited to see all my friends and family again this weekend. So how about we get this podcast going? Otherwise, I may just not sleep before my flight. We'll see how this goes. But anyway, today we are talking all about depression, inflammation, and the hope that omega-3 fatty acids may provide. So let's start off with some core takeaways. There are many causes of depression and I think still causes of depression that we have yet to discover. As a result, it is so difficult to treat and find a cure for this condition. However, in the last several decades, there has been a clear link made between inflammation, omega-3 fatty acids in our diet, and the risk for depression. High levels of inflammation can increase the risk of depression by changing the feel-good neurotransmitters in our brain, such as dopamine and serotonin. Inflammation may also cause neurons in our brain to die. The good news is increasing omega-3 fatty acids in the diet can lower our inflammation and may help with symptoms of depression. So in brief, inflammation may increase the risk of depression, omega-3s lower inflammation, and therefore omega-3 fatty acids may lower symptoms of depression. So now let's get into those details. The impact that depression has on individuals cannot be overstated. The effects of depression are debilitating. Let's start off by briefly describing first what depression is. Depression is a clinical condition, and the symptoms for diagnosis include that someone feels that they are in a depressed mood most of the day and are characterized by symptoms such as loss of interest or pleasure in most or all activities, lack of sleep or too much sleep, significant weight loss or weight gain, or a decrease or increase in appetite nearly every day, feeling agitated, feeling fatigued or having low energy, a decreased ability to concentrate, think, or make decisions, thoughts of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt, and recurrent thoughts of death or suicidal ideation or even suicide attempts. Now, some people may feel just a few of these symptoms, not necessarily all. Now, the most difficult thing about treating depression is that depression can be caused by so many different things. That is why some individuals may respond to one treatment and not another. For example, depression can be a cause or consequence of different brain region activity or differences in the connections of our brain. Dr. Helen Mayberg at Sinai notes that cells communicate with each other in very specific ways, like an orchestra. When she images the brains of individuals living with depression, she can actually see the imbalance in the brain. 
as she says, an orchestra that's out of tune, so to speak. A decreased metabolism, specifically in the prefrontal cortex, especially the dorsolateral and dorsoventral brain regions, is frequently replicated in people that are living with major depressive disorder. Other scientists have noted some differences in brain activity or brain connections in those living with depression. For example, Sheline in 2001 observed that in individuals diagnosed with depression, they tend to have greater activity of the left amygdala in response to emotional faces. But after treatment for depression, this exaggerated activity was reduced and actually comparable to the control subject. So the amygdala, which controls emotions, may play a role in depression. Gracias in 2007 observed that individuals with diagnosed depression at rest had greater subgenual, cingulate, and thalamic functional connectivity. And the length of their current depressive episode correlated positively with the functional connectivity in the subgenual cingulate. Mayberg and colleagues first noted a relationship between the decreased metabolism of the prefrontal cortex and an increased metabolism in limbic regions, such as the striatum and thalamus, in depression, leading to the hypothesis that corticolimbic connectivity abnormalities may be present in those living with depression. So what this boils down to is exactly what Dr. Mayberg said, that the brain connectivity and activity can be markedly different in patients with diagnosed depression versus those without depression. Other than brain activity differences, other causes may be at play. For example, the topic of today, inflammation. Bremer in 2008, for example, reported that high levels of a pro-inflammatory molecule called interleukin-6 was strongly associated with the diagnosis of major depression. Miller in 2002 reported similar findings in 100 patients that pro-inflammatory molecules were elevated in those living with depression. Many scientists have shown that inflammation changes the metabolic processes in our brain that can increase the likelihood of depression. We know that, for example, treatment for the condition hepatitis C is to administer a highly inflammatory molecule called interferon. Now, this treatment significantly increases inflammation in the body, and it is also shown to induce symptoms of depression. This is so common with this treatment that more than 50% of patients undergoing this inflammatory treatment develop symptoms of depression very rapidly. This was published by Felger and colleagues in 2013 and by Musselman and colleagues in 2001. It is thought that depressive symptoms can occur because interferon can lower the feel-good neurotransmitter serotonin. Now, inflammation is an important factor that explains a possible mechanism of depression with the kynurenine pathway of tryptophan at its center. Now, stress and inflammation can lower the levels of that feel-good neurotransmitter dopamine. And in the presence of stress and inflammation, instead of the amino acid tryptophan being converted to serotonin, it is preferentially shifted to produce kynurenine and a molecule called quinolinic acid. Now, the metabolites of kynurenine degrade serotonin. They can also act on the glutamate receptors, such as the NMDA receptors, to induce neurotoxicity, or in other words, cause the neurons in our brain to die. In another episode of this podcast, I believe it was the Ketogenic Diet Part 1 episode, I discussed how depression and anxiety can be characterized as having too much glutamate, that activating neurotransmitter in the brain, and not enough GABA, that quieting down neurotransmitter of the brain. 
So inflammation may be a particular cause of the mechanism of depression here. And this concept is reviewed very well by Gian in the Journal of Neuroimmunology in the year 2017. In an inflammatory state, serotonin as the substrate of melatonin becomes insufficient and melatonin production as a result or melatonin levels are decreased. Now, if you recall, melatonin is very important for proper sleep. So if people are living with high levels of inflammation, it may increase their risk of both poor quality sleep and depression. So if inflammation could play a role in depression, then where do the omega-3 fatty acids come into play? Well, let's first take a step back and briefly introduce the omega-3 fatty acids. Now, omega-3 fatty acids are a type of fat in our diet. They are considered essential for our health. And our brain in particular is made up of a lot of the long chain omega-3 fatty acids. The main omega-3 fatty acids include alpha-linolenic acid, which is present in a lot of plant foods such as chia seed that I talked about in last week's episode. Flaxseed, flax oil, hemp seed, and walnuts are also very high sources of alpha-linolenic acid. Now the longer chain omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA, are present primarily in cold water fish, such as salmon, anchovies, and sardines. But DHA can also be found in algae and seaweed as well. Now, in general, we tend to not eat enough omega-3 fatty acids in our diet and tend to eat too many omega-6 fatty acids, which are the opponent or the opposing molecule to the omega-3s. Because omega-6 fatty acids tend to be pro-inflammatory, whereas the omega-3s tend to be anti-inflammatory. Now, omega-6 fatty acids are more widespread throughout our diet. For example, they can be found in a lot of nuts, animal fats, vegetable oils, and present in a lot of fried, pre-made, or fast foods, such as potato chips and french fries, for example. Now, the omega-3 fatty acids and the omega-6 fatty acids are always in competition with one another. For example, they compete to be metabolized by specific enzymes because their metabolites can either induce or cause inflammation or the metabolites of these fatty acids can either resolve inflammation. Now, as I said, the omega-3s tend to be less inflammatory or mostly anti-inflammatory or inflammation resolving. And the omega-6 fatty acids tend to be very inflammatory. So if we want to reduce inflammation, eating more omega-3s and less omega-6s is key. Now, Dr. Charles Surhan, who I've met a few times, is a great proponent in the, this area of research. He has observed that molecules are generated from the omega-3 fatty acids that can literally resolve and stop inflammatory process. He coined these molecules the resolvins and protectins. Now, if someone is eating a lot of omega-6 and not enough omega-3, it is possible that they have more inflammation in their body. Now, this is supported by many studies, for example, by Nori in 2011. They reported in patients undergoing dialysis that higher omega-6 to omega-3 intake appeared to be associated with both worsening inflammation over time and a trend toward a higher risk of death. Now let's talk about the connection between omega-3 fatty acids and depression. Sue in 2003, Lou in 2017, Mamalakis in 2002, and many, many other scientists have noted that individuals diagnosed with major depressive disorder tend to have lower omega-3 fatty acids in their blood or fat tissue. 
Now, whether this is the cause or consequence of depression has yet to be understood. And I made mention to this topic back in my episode called Our Brain on Junk Food. And that would be a very interesting lesson. Listen, if you haven't had a chance. But because of this finding that omega-3s tend to be lower in those diagnosed with depression, it was thought that then omega-3 supplementation may reduce inflammation and reduce depression. And we have known for many years that adding rich foods, that adding foods that are rich in omega-3 fatty acids can lower markers of inflammation. For example, I published a few papers looking at adding flaxseed to the diet. Now, flaxseed is a very good source of that vegetarian omega-3 fatty acid, alpha-linolenic acid. For example, I had conducted a clinical trial in which we asked 20 people to add 30 grams or three heaping tablespoons of ground flaxseed to their diet every day for four weeks. Now, this supplied about six grams of omega-3 fatty acids per day. At baseline and after four weeks of eating flaxseed, we collected blood samples to measure the lipid oxidation products in their blood or markers of inflammation. And we observed that at baseline, the older individuals had higher levels of those pro-inflammatory omega-6 fatty acid molecules versus the younger group. But after eating flaxseed every day for four weeks, both groups, the older and younger group, saw a significant reduction in many of those pro-inflammatory molecules and thus reduced their markers of inflammation. The older group saw a much bigger improvement in their inflammation and actually became similar to their younger counterparts. So it appeared as though flaxseed was able to reduce markers of inflammation here. So if omega-3 fatty acids can lower inflammation, which is a potential cause of depression, then can omega-3s help with depression? Well, for example, a group of scientists recruited 22 individuals diagnosed with depression currently undergoing stable treatment for depression with medications. The additional intervention included 440 milligrams of EPA and 220 milligrams of DHA, those long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, in pill form. The control group received olive oil in pill form. Now, there's quite a bit of variability in the response, but overall, it appeared that omega-3 supplementation reduced measures of depression, according to the Hamilton Depression Scale Test of Depression Symptom Severity. Now, it reduced their depression score by, on average, nearly 15 points. Another study, for example, by Pete in 2002, they conducted a 12-week randomized double-blind placebo-controlled study, which is a very well-designed study, that included 70 patients. Now, the patients were given 1, 2, or 4 grams of the omega-3 fatty acid EPA specifically every day. Now, the patients in this study had experienced persistent depression despite ongoing standard antidepressant medications. And interestingly, in this study, there was a beneficial impact, and less was more. Those in the lowest dose, the one gram of EPA per day, had the best outcome. Specifically, 53% of the people in this group achieved a 50% reduction in their depression symptom severity score. The one gram of EPA every day led to improvements in depression, anxiety, and sleep after 12 weeks. Trabatica in 2017 investigated if omega-3 supplements could reduce symptoms of depression in 35 children currently undergoing treatment for depressive disorder or mixed anxiety depressive disorder. The intervention included 20 milliliters of fish oil emulsion, which provided 1,000 milligrams of EPA and 750 milligrams of DHA. 
where there was a control group that received an omega-6 fatty acid oil emulsion. They measured their depression via the CDI test, which is the Children's Depression Inventory Test, to assess their symptoms of depression such as level of motivation, self-esteem, negative mood, enjoyment of activities, etc. And the scientists noted that an improvement of on average eight points in the CDI score in the children receiving the omega-3 supplements versus the control supplement. Now, Martins in 2014 and Mocking in 2016 both conducted meta-analyses that essentially pooled together many clinical trials to finally have a concluding answer. Now, Martins pulled together 13 studies and Mocking pulled together 28 studies. And they both separately concluded that their analysis suggested a beneficial overall effect of omega-3 fatty acid supplementation in patients living with depression. Particularly, a beneficial effect was found for higher doses of EPA and in participants that are already taking antidepressant medications. It is important to note that some clinical trials did show no benefit, and therefore there is variability in response. For example, Gabay in 2018 reported that when children were provided omega-3 fatty acids alone without any medication or other treatment, they gave up to 3.6 grams a day of omega-3s to 51 children with depression. They concluded that it did not provide any benefit, unfortunately. And I think there are a few reasons for this variability in response. The one thing that I will stress the most, and if you're going to take anything from this episode, let it be this. If your diet is of poor quality, no amount of supplements will bring you up to optimal health. It is absolutely essential that you start by creating a solid diet. For example, rich in fruits, vegetables, fiber, and low in sugar fried foods and low in pre-made foods. And once you have a solid base for your diet, supplements are more likely than to have a benefit. And this scenario of omega, omega fatty acids specifically, you know, let me be more specific. For us to lower our inflammation, we need to improve our ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acids. So if we are taking some omega-3s or fish oil pills, but are still eating a really poor diet, for example, high in fried foods with a lot of omega-6 fatty acids, then those omega-3 pills are unlikely to be of any benefit. I also go more into depth into this concept in that episode entitled Our Brain on Junk Food. So if you haven't listened to that one, we'll help you understand this concept a little bit better. So again, make sure you have a solid foundation to your diet first. Try to lower the omega-6 fatty acids in your diet and then supplementing with omega-3 on top of it. That could be a potential reason why some people saw a benefit and others didn't in these clinical trials. Another reason why responses to omega-3 intake for symptoms of depression may be variable is because of baseline inflammation levels. For example, people with high inflammation may respond better to omega-3 supplementation. If omega-3s are intended to reduce inflammation, then it makes sense to provide omega-3s to those with higher inflammation. Well, Rappaport in 2016 did just that. They recruited 155 subjects with diagnosed depression and measured their levels of inflammation at baseline. Now, the intervention included a placebo pill, a pill containing the EPA, omega-3 fatty acid, or a pill containing DHA, the omega-3 fatty acid. Now, the scientists noted that individuals with higher markers of inflammation in their body were more likely to respond more favorably to the omega-3 supplementation. 
For example, patients with higher levels of C-reactive protein, interleukin-1 or interleukin-6, tended to respond better to specifically the EPA supplementation. And we cannot neglect the fact that omega-3s may have an impact on our brain physiology other than its role on inflammation. Now, fatty acids are the building blocks to many cells and specifically to the neurons in our brain. By providing the proper building blocks to our neurons, we can ensure homeostasis of our brain physiology. I think in general for good health, everyone should try to obtain a well-balanced diet that is rich in omega-3s, including from sources such as flax, chia, hemp, nuts, salmon, anchovies, halibut, algae, seaweed, and sardines, for example. And for us to reduce our intakes of omega-6s, such as from corn oil, sunflower oil, potato chips, fried foods, and pre-made fast foods. Now remember to try your best not to heat your omega-3 rich foods as this could lead to lipid peroxidation. That is not a good thing. So for example, for example, we need to cook fish and salmon, for example, only needs to be cooked to an internal temperature of 145 degrees Fahrenheit. So if it is cooked to a much higher temperature, you're more likely to see lipid peroxidation. And so for example, as well, if you're eating flaxseed or chia or hemp, Again, it is better to eat them raw as opposed to eating them after they've been heated or cooked. So that is a wrap, my people scientist army. In brief summary, the impact depression has on individuals and our society is enormous. The causes of depression are so diverse and that is what makes it such a difficult condition to cure or to treat. We have realized through decades of research that inflammation and low omega-3 fatty acid status can be implicated in some people living with depression. As a result, increasing foods in the diet rich in omega-3s may provide benefit and lower symptoms of depression by reducing inflammation and providing the proper building blocks to the neurons in our brain. In particular, clinical trials are showing that the omega-3 fatty acid EPA is associated with the best improvement in symptoms of depression. So you can either eat sources of EPA directly, for example, from fish or from taking EPA supplements, or from the vegetarian sources, such as from hemp seed, flax seed, chia seed, et cetera, that are rich in the alpha linolenic fatty acid, our body is able to convert that fatty acid into EPA as well. So that is it for today's episode. If anyone has any questions on today's topic, feel free to message me on any of my social media platforms. And I hope you all have a super healthy week. Wish me luck on catching my early morning flight. Let's see if I can get a couple hours of sleep here. And I will meet you back here next week in the same time and the same place on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.